Bethel World Outreach Church. Reaching a city to touch the world. I'm honored to be here. Thank you, Pastor Justin. And uh, I just want to say I'm honored that we're part of a church uh, led by Pastor James that isn't just a guy who talks about empowering the next generation, but is actually willing to give a guy like me a shot at a day like this. Thank you, Pastor James, uh, for being uh, with us online today, and I'm sure you're watching. And I also want to say I'm honored to be a part of a church where my wife and I can grow and be uh, poured into both, not just as leaders, but as Christians that we can grow as people who just who love Jesus. And I, I'm just so excited to be here with you. I love you, Rachel. Hey, what's up? But here we are, four days away from a really big day. I'm talking about Thanksgiving, right? We have food that you love. Uh, we have, you know, a day uh, where, where we get to celebrate and remember everything we're thankful for. And we get to spend it with our family. No cheers for that one? With our family. We get to be with our family. And I know that that's a complicated word for most of us, right? Family means something different for you than it means for me and probably different for the person next to you and different for the person on the other side because chances are, if we're just being real, four days from now, you might be across the table from someone that you don't agree with. And you might be across the table from someone you don't really like. You might be across the table from someone that you just, you love and you admire and they're amazing. And you might be someone uh, who's across the table from uh, someone you haven't seen in a while and have become a little bit estranged. I know family means something different for all of us. But the text that we're talking about today speaks to all of us, asking us the question, how are we going to love them well? How are you going to love well the person that you don't agree with? How are you going to love well the person that's known you your entire life? How are we going to love our families well? You can turn to Ephesians 6 as we conclude our Loving Well series because we're going to be talking about an extremely relevant topic for this week, which is loving our families well. The second half of Ephesians, we talked in our We Are Family series, we preached through the first half of Ephesians, where it talks about everything that God has done for us in sending his son Jesus and uh, what that means for us as who we are in Jesus. And now in the second half of Ephesians, it's talking about what our new life in Jesus looks like. How are we supposed to live and how are we supposed to love as people who've had an encounter with Jesus Christ? And so as we talk today, I hope it doesn't come off as all the things that we're doing really bad at as much as a proposal of what new life in Jesus can look like. And so I, if you're walking away feeling guilty and bad, then we didn't do our job. And I don't think we read the Bible correctly if that's our result. But if we walk away realizing that Jesus has enough grace for even broken people like us, then I think we read it correctly. Ephesians 6, 1 through 4 says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother that you may live long in the land. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you. You'll live long in the land. Fathers and mothers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up 
in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Jesus, reveal yourself in the word. And God, help us to love our families well. Amen. I know when we read some of those words, there was instant feelings that we had. There's all these feels that just happened in this room. Words like father mean something. Uh, words like mother, words like child. And I, I think there's probably a lot of feelings. One feeling that might have happened is, I am so ready to send this message to my kid. I'm so ready to send this to my mom. Oh my gosh, this is finally going to be the time where they just get their act together. Uh, You might uh, be in the room and saying, uh, your feeling is, well, who is this guy? Talking, you know, talking to me about parenting, walking in this 26-year-old guy that looks like he just walked off the set of Miami Vice. (laughs) Talking to me, and it's, it's true. We've been the youth pastors now for a little bit over a year, and it's true that we don't have children on this side of heaven, and it's true uh, that I've been out of the house now for nine years, and I I would actually argue that that might give a a different perspective to all of us, because I think uh, I've been walking now in youth ministry for eight years, and I've walked with a lot of kids who are the result of varying types of parenting. And I've walked with a lot of parents that are a result of a lot of behavior from kids. And so if you don't trust me, that's okay. Because today, we're just going to trust Jesus, okay? We're just going to see what the word says, and we're going to go from there. Because it seems like pretty straightforward of a text, right? If we can just do these two things, right? And I just brought some aids. If we can just honor our parents... We have over here, and I love this other translation. It doesn't say, don't provoke your kids to anger. It says, don't exasperate your child. It has a nice little dramatic ring to it. Don't exasperate your child. If we could just do those two things, we're done. Man, shortest church service ever. You're like, man, I'm getting brunch. Forget lunch. This is brunch time. No, but we know it's not that simple, right? Because if it was, we would all just do it. We know that there's a broken piece in the machine, but the question is, where is it? Well, obviously, it's them, right? I mean, obviously, I think we might have parents in the room that are saying, if my kid would just honor me, then I'd stop exasperating them. And there's probably kids saying, if they would just stop exasperating me, I would honor them. Obviously, there's a broken piece in the machine, but I hope today we see in this text that God loves broken people. That God loves broken people. You know, there's a stop sign at the end of our street. In our neighborhood, there's a stop sign. It's just going from one small little road that we live on to another small little road that other people live on. And although it is a red stop sign, just as you would see in a busy place, um, I often, if we're just, we're in church, so I'm going to be honest, I often treat it as a little bit more of a suggestion than a mandatory thing. And don't laugh like you don't do it. Come on, you know there's a stop sign in your neighborhood that you're like, oh, I know there's probably nobody coming. I'm just gonna do a nice little stop and or slow down rather and, you know, then you're going, right? It's like uh, we treat something mandatory sometimes uh, as more of a suggestion. I know I'm guilty of it. You might be as well, but maybe you're more sanctified than I am. 
But I think sometimes we do that to the scriptures. And I think sometimes we see a presentation of something like this that we see some are are mandatory and some are optional. Let me give you an example. Now, Paul here, uh, who's writing in Ephesians, is referencing, uh, he says, uh, honor your father and mother, for this is the first commandment with a promise. He's uh, he's, uh, uh, referencing the Ten Commandments. And so we have the Ten Commandments over here, and I think we read them with varying levels of seriousness, where we say, okay, don't murder, absolutely. Not even a little bit of murder is a good thing. Like, no murder, got it. Don't steal, okay? Yep, I can stay away from stealing. It sounds like a generally bad idea. Don't lie, okay, well, yeah, all right. Honor the Sabbath. Well, you know, there's probably some exceptions there. Honor your parents. Well, depends. And it's kind of like, I love Old Navy. Old Navy is is awesome. I think it's one of the first things that I realized I'm a grown-up now, that I like Old Navy. I think when you turn 25, they should send you a card that says, like, congratulations, you have a fully formed brain, you can rent a car, and you like Old Navy. But I like Old Navy a lot, and often you walk into a store like Old Navy and others, and they have this big sign. They always have some sale. Super cash, it gets us every time. It says, you know, uh, entire store, half off. And there's a little asterisk. It says some exclusions apply. And it's always the clothes you want that are the exclusions. But we'll get, that's another series. And we look at certain things in the Bible like honor your parents, and we're so quick to say, that's a great idea, but some exclusions apply. Because, Bryson, you don't know what happened to me. You don't know how my dad treated me. You don't know what happened when my parents split up. You don't know, but it talks about here, it says, this is the first commandment with a promise. It's actually the only commandment with a promise. When you go down the 10, smack dab in the middle is this one that says, honor your father and mother. And when you go back to Exodus 20, where it's referencing here, it even elaborates a little more than Paul does. Not just that your life may be long, but it says that your days may be long in the land the Lord your God is giving you which tells me that he's not just talking about an extended lifetime here on earth, but he's talking about a life lived in the fullness of the promise of God, and this is included. So he's kind of giving us a freebie here. He's kind of saying, if you want to live in the will of God, this is part of it. And in prepping, I looked at a lot of different translations, and I didn't find an asterisk in any of them. that we have a commandment right here that there's no wiggle room. He just says, honor your parents because as the creator of the human experience, this is part of what I feel like, not what I feel like, what is part of the fullness of what I've created as God. And so for us, as people who love to put an asterisk on on this and other parts of the Bible, uh, we we find ourselves in a little bit of a problem. Because I feel like we think that dishonoring is justified if it's true. 
Like saying something about our parents is, is justified if it's true. Now, let me tell you a, a little bit uh, about gossip. So gossip is spreading something that's a lie or an exaggeration. Slander is using the truth against somebody. So you have gossip on one side, and we would say gossip, a bad idea, don't lie about other people. But slander is using something that's true to the other person's detriment and for your benefit. So sometimes we feel like uh, there's a dishonorable quality about our parents or about the people who raise us that we feel like we're justified in talking negatively about them because something's true. Well, they, this really did happen. This really, this really is, I'm just telling the truth. I'm just telling the truth. And let me just say, I am not saying to stay silent if there has been abuse. I'm not st- saying to stay silent if there's extreme dysfunction, but I am saying there's a proper outlet for that. There's a proper place to process that. There's going to be people who want to pray with you down here to help uh, get some ministry for that. There's uh, professionals that want to help you process things like that. I'm not saying stay silent, but when you use your parents' mistake to villainize them and victimize yourself, you're actually missing out on your blessing. You're the person that's being hurt by trying to hurt them. It's right there in the book. Don't be mad at me. Get mad at the book because it's right there that when you dishonor your parents, even if it's true, you're missing out on your blessing. Don't let their irresponsibility take away from your prosperity. It's right, it's, it's right there. So what is it asking you to do if dad left? Honor him. And what's it asking you to do if mom doesn't agree with your faith? Honor her. You know, we don't honor people because they're honorable. We honor people because we're people of honor. It's not about their honorability and it's not about uh, how much they deserve it. And I know that I'm talking about broken parents and there are great parents in here, but even the greatest parent will let you down. But we can honor our broken parents because God loves broken people. God loves broken people. I also, in kind of preparing it and praying for you guys, I feel like somebody just needs to hear, you don't need to wait for an apology to forgive that an apology is not necessary for forgiveness to, uh, to happen. There's an author that goes to our church, incredibly successful, Stormy O'Mardian, and she has a quote that says, forgiveness doesn't make them right, but it sets you free. And so in forgiving, I, I think today there's just a little bit of freedom available. Uh, if today we can just uh, be people walking into Thanksgiving week saying, I'm letting go of stuff, not because they're right, but because I think that there's more for me in Jesus when I choose to honor my parents instead of dishonor them. Just take it if you will. That's, that's for you. That's for free. Lastly, I just want to say that as reference, there are situations of abuse and extreme dysfunction that are represented in this room where going home for Thanksgiving might actually put you in physical harm. And I would propose that there are multiple ways to honor your parents. That it doesn't have to look one certain way if it's a phone call, if it's maybe sending a gift or a card. So ask yourself, what might that look like for you? Because honoring your parents looks different for all of us. 
But I think in general, we might be able to say to listen to them, empathize with them, respect them, care about them, help them, speak well of them when they're not around, forgive them, honor them. Because God loves broken people. He really does. He really, really does. And it says, uh, on one hand, honor your parents, but it also says, don't exasperate your kids. So this, now, now we're starting getting in, into Parentville, right? So don't exasperate your kids. To exasperate is to irritate and frustrate intensely. 78% of parents uh, right now believe that parenting is harder today than it was when they were being raised. So 78%, and a large part of that is due to technology and its role in uh, young people's lives. And so it's created for Generation Z, which is the demographic, which is about college age and below, an extremely polarized uh, level of parenting. So on one hand, you have this extreme iron curtain, hands clenched tight, and you have, on the other hand, extreme, you know, maybe you're listening to Iron Maiden and hands in the air like you just don't care, you know, uh, wherever it is, like you have on on one side, this uh, hyper-rules focused parenting style, and on the other side, you have this hyper-relationship uh, focused parenting style. And what I love about verse four is it addresses both of them. So it addresses both. It says, don't exasperate your child, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Loving your children well is a divine blend of grace and guidelines. Because guidelines without grace produces rebellion and exasperation. But grace without guidelines leads to confusion and chaos. We can't, uh, if you are leaning more on the grace-filled side, we can't villainize the people who exasperate if we're not willing to put guidelines. I love Pastor JT. Uh, He has this great analogy where he talks about you put boundaries on the things that you love. So you might put a fence in your yard because you care about your kids. You care about protecting the things that God's given you to steward here on earth. You put boundaries around the things that you love. So maybe you're a parent in here that isn't a big rule person, isn't a a big boundary person, where it's actually loving your child to bring them up in the discipline of following Jesus, of being a a Jesus person. Maybe you're a child in here uh, that's really frustrated about the boundaries that have been given to you. It's because your your parent loves you. It's because your parent wants to protect you. It's because your parents lived a a little bit longer than you uh, and has some insight. And I think that a lot of it comes from not understanding each other. A lot of this happens, this problem, the the reason that we as sinners need to hear something like this is because we're not willing to understand each other. And it makes sense. Do you know actually uh, before you're 25 uh, and your prefrontal cortex is fully formed, uh, you're actually processing the world with a piece of your brain that's in the back called the amygdala. Now, the amygdala is the decision-making center for young people, uh, which is primarily based on emotion. So it's a a way of seeing the world and processing the world from an emotional perspective. And then as you hit about 25, uh, you uh, you, you make your decisions based on the prefrontal cortex. And that's uh, something that makes decisions based on the long-term outcome 
of what your decision might happen, which isn't to say that adults can't have emotions, and it's not to say that kids are illogical. But I think it actually might be a scheme of the enemy to divide us instead of unite us. Can you, can you imagine a multi-generational church that has the passion of the young and the wisdom of the old? Can you imagine what could happen if we just sat across the table and said, let me understand your point of view because I think we can do something special here. I'll tell you, that's available in your family right now. It's available. And maybe you have adult children. Maybe they're out of the house or maybe you are an adult child and you have, uh, you know, your parent is uh, older and it might not exactly work just like that. But I would say generationally, you have something to offer and they have something to offer that your family can actually make a huge impact for the kingdom when they see heaven on earth, people worshiping Jesus together from all sorts of generations. I think that your family has an opportunity but it comes at exactly what happened over here, that it's not a a suggestion, but it's a command. My dad is excellent at not exasperating us. As we were growing up, he was a vice principal for most of my childhood. So you can imagine his disciplinary style. It was a very vice principal-y style. He might have been too good at not exasperating us, actually. Uh, when we would be in trouble, because we were in trouble, we were kids and all that, he would invite us into his room, sit across from us, just, you know, look at us. They must teach this, like, in the army, like, interrogation stuff. But, and so, just look at us calmly. And he would say, Bryson, walk me through how you thought it was a good idea to do whatever it is that you do. So, of course, I had no, no good reason. It's like, well, you know, he was on the trampoline. I wanted to be on the trampoline, so I pushed him off. <laughs> and he said, Bryson, what do you think that we could put in place so that you, you know, it, so it helps you not do that again? And whatever punishment I picked was probably worse than whatever he was going to do, but he did the entire thing with that. Sometimes I was like, dad, just yell at me or something. Like, please, all these other kids, they're just getting, you know, yelled at. I'll take that. Um, Love you, dad. (laughs) But all in all, I think he understood something about raising children in a godly way because God loves broken children. The kids aren't problems to solve. They're people to love. Your child is not a problem to solve. They're a person to love. Your problem child, love them. Your disobedient child, love them. Your child who's having gender confusion, love them. Your child that said they hate you, love them. Don't exasperate because God loves broken people and God loves your broken child. It says don't exasperate them, but bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. I love this group called, their, their name is Barna, and they do some awesome research and studies on uh, the uh, faith and culture. 
And they did this uh, study called Households of Faith. And I'm going to have a link to that uh, as well. We do every week, just a, a quick little plug. Every week there's small group notes that are attached to the sermons that we preach. And so I've already given some links to the people who are putting those together. If you just go online at BethelWorld.org, you can download that. This is going to have some links to some videos and articles I'm referencing, just so you know. But they did this study and they published it called Households of Faith. And they looked at what are some common denominators of spiritually vibrant families. And so they categorized that as families who uh, the majority of them have a relationship with Jesus. They pray regularly, attend church regularly, and a few other qualifications like that. And they found three really interesting things. The top three things that they found among uh, these spiritually vibrant families are number one, they ate dinner together often. They ate dinner together often, most of them uh, five days a week up to, you know, every day of the week. The first thing is they ate dinner together often. The second thing, this is my favorite, they had fun together. They had fun together. They just liked being around each other. And the third thing is they hosted others often. They hosted others often. So you can just jot that down because that's what happened. So again, easy. If you're a parent, you just said, sweet, I just got the three steps to having a spiritually vibrant family. That fixed all my problems. If I just go home and I change our schedule to eat more together and I change uh, the way that we do so we, you know, have a family vacation and uh, we have people over, I can do that. But I have bad news for you. You could do all of those and it wouldn't fix anything. You might know each other better because you had dinner together. You might, yeah, have a little bit of fun, but eating together for dinner, if it's filled with exasperation and dishonor, it's not going to do anything. And hosting people, if it's at the expense of your relationship with your child, it's not going to do anything. And we've all, who's been to Disney, Disney World, Disneyland, anybody? Everyone's like, Disney Plus, holla. We're Disney Plus people. Praise God. We've, if you've been to Disneyland, you know this family that I'm about to describe. This family did great from about 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. They loved it. Time of their lives. Now, you tend to see this family at about 11.30 a.m. You have one kid who's tired from walking all day, complaining, you have the other kid who's definitely too big for a stroller, but for that day, you know, mom's like, whatever. Mom's exhausted because she ran out of juice boxes an hour ago. And you have the dad, and you know what he says. He says, you know what? We paid a lot of money to get you in here. Flew you down to Florida. Got you in a nice little Mickey hotel. You're going to have fun, and you're going to like it. Because Pastor Bryson said, if we just have fun together, you're going to love Jesus. <laughs> just wish that fun wasn't $5,000. It's not going to help. It just won't. So how can something that seems so cut and dry be so complicated? Because honoring your parents is easy when they're honorable. And not exasperating your kids is easy when they're obedient. 
But the truth is, a lot of times they aren't. And that's what makes this hard. It's actually not just hard. This text is asking us to do something that's impossible. He's asking us to honor someone that isn't always honorable and he's asking us to withhold from exasperation someone who exasperates us. That at the end of the day, it's asking us to give something that's undeserved, which is only available. You're only able to do it when you realize the undeserved love that was given to us, an unlovable state. That we were given something we didn't deserve. And once we start to understand this undeserved love that was given to an unlovable us, we start to get onto something. That now, we can actually look because God loves broken people, we can actually love a little bit more like God. You know, it's easy to get conned by a text with no context. And so in order to really get Paul's heart behind this, we need to go back to Ephesians 5, verse 1, where it starts, uh, it's talking about the beginning of this thought, where he says, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Jesus lived a life of perfect obedience, honoring the Father to save us from the ultimate exasperation that we deserved. He took the cross that we deserve to give us the love that he deserved because God loves broken people. He does. He loves broken people. He loves them. And so now, when we see Jesus the ultimate bridge to the gap that divides us, when we find ourselves in the middle, now, when we're having a hard time uh, honoring our parents, we can remember that we have a heavenly father that's never going to let us down, that we have someone above our parents, and he's called us to honor that broken person, that because he's honorable, I can honor them. When we're having a hard time uh, understanding our child, and we feel like our only best bet is to disconnect or exasperate, we can remember that because of Jesus, he does for that child because God loves broken people. So now, if God loves broken people, it means he loves us. And if he loves us, it means that we can love broken people too. Would you go ahead and stand with me as we get ready to go from this place? How powerful would it be Imagine with me, how powerful would it be if my love for you didn't depend on your lovability? How powerful would it be if your love for your family didn't depend on you agreeing with them, on you liking them? It didn't depend on whether they were a good boy or a bad boy this year. It didn't depend if they were obedient or dishonorable. But what if your love for your parent didn't depend on them having it all together what if your dinner table was marked by the fruit of the spirit and Christian hospitality what if you didn't just pray to bless the meal 
What if you had a home culture that represented Jesus to your community? Not that you're perfect. Not that everything's together, but what if it was a beautiful mess? That in the midst of this chaos of your home, that people saw the love of Jesus, the messy ministry that was available, that even a person like them could get in. What if your family looked like the kingdom of God? I'll tell you, it's possible. But it starts with you. And for many, it starts on Thursday. As you gather around the Thanksgiving table, this could be it. This could be your family, but it won't be because you read a self-help book. It won't be because you listened to a podcast. It's because you had an encounter with the love of Jesus that you can love broken people because God loved a broken you. it's, It's not based on how much they've done for you or how much they deserve it, but because God loved a broken you, you can love a broken them. It's available, but it's not because of a nice talk or two cute signs. It's because Jesus Christ came and laid down his life so that we could lay down our lives for other people, so that we can love them well. If you're a parent in here, I want you to ask yourself the question, how can I both withhold exasperation and give clear guidelines for my kids? If you have a parent still with us, ask yourself the question, how can I honor my parents and how can I love them well? But above all, Going back to Ephesians 5.1, when things get hard, we need to ask, how can I imitate God's love for this person? I think there's two primary responses that we might have in this room. One, I think that there's a level of repentance that we all have because there's been times that we've dishonored our parents and there's been times that we've exasperated our child or we've failed to give them clear guidelines. I think there's a level of repentance, which just means turn around. It just means uh, to uh, say, Lord, forgive me for being uh, away from your perfect will and Lord, help me walk better. But I think that there's another really important response in this room saying that perfect love, that loving well, I've never experienced it. I don't know how to do it. I don't know even where to start. Well, it starts here. It starts with an encounter of the love of Jesus. We can have our ministry team um, come down and they're gonna be available to pray with you. But let me just pray for a moment and then we're going to respond in just about a minute of worship and as we sing if that's you and wherever you find yourself on that spectrum this is a judgment free zone if your parent walks out it's not uh, walks down to the front it's not your fault if your child walks down to the front this is a judgment free zone we're just going to have a moment with Jesus but Jesus thank you If you've watched this message and you want to make Jesus Lord of your life, I've got good news. You can do it right now. I want you to pray with me. Say, Lord Jesus, 
come into my life for the rest of my life. I acknowledge I am a sinner. I need you, my Savior. I believe you died for me. I believe you were raised from the dead on the third day. And I confess that you are now Lord of my life. If you've just prayed that prayer, I have good news for you. You have eternal life. The next step for you is to get in a Bible-believing church. We volunteer to be that church. But if not us, we pray God's blessings on you as you search for God's best for you. Thank you.